You're listening to One of One with Sloika, conversations with artists. If you're curious about creators, NFTs, and Web3, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Pam Voth. Let's go. Welcome. Today I'm talking with Jason Matias, a TEDx speaker, artist, author, educator, and veteran of the U.S. Air Force. From his time in the military to his solo backcountry hikes in Alaska, Jason's journey has been one of constant exploration and self-discovery. He's a master artist and a master marketer of art with his course, The Art of Selling Art. We're going to delve into his creative process and discover the stories behind his images. Welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I was super surprised when you guys reached out. So this is going to be fun. I feel like I'm talking with a movie star here, a television star. I know you have quite the following on your YouTube channel and your course about the art of selling art. And we're going to get into that. But I wanted to hear, first of all, about your photography. How did it all start for you becoming a photographer? Okay, so if we go way back briefly, I used to do black and white pencil and charcoal. And then I was sort of pulled out of art altogether. The grown-ups of the time were like, you can't do this. This is not a real career. And I gave up and I put it away and I went to school and I joined the military. I was always going to do that. But I ended up in Alaska with not a lot to do and started taking pictures again. So that was when I joined the military. I got out of the military. I got a master's degree in organizational leadership, bachelor's in managerial economics, a PNP. I got all this stupid education and I couldn't get a job. And while I was going to school, I started also getting into photography deeper. And one of the tenants was I would only allow myself to buy an expensive camera if I could make that camera pay for itself. And that was the beginning. And then I finished my bachelor's and I couldn't get a job. So I came back from my master's and I couldn't get a job. And photography was the only thing making money. So I just took everything I knew about entrepreneurship and business and really just kind of grit and pulled it, pushed it into photography. And it became my career. So I saw that a lot of your photos on your website are having to do with this comfortable isolation. They do have such a peaceful feeling about them. And I was just curious about what impact you hope that has on your viewers of those images? Well, so it's a circular thing, right? Like I started creating this type of image because that's what was happening in my head, which is the opposite of how I grew up, right? I grew up and everything in my head was very dark. I lived in there, but it was like not a nice place to be. But as I grew up and worked through my own problems, I started having those sort of wells of solitude just living in my head that I stayed with. And now I try to create those for people, right? So people who don't know how to be with themselves alone. So, you know, when I create them, I'm creating people who are looking for, or I'm creating art for people who are looking for a third party way into places of solitude. I'm not Mm. sure if that was your question or not, but that's just kind of what came out. Wow. No, that's really fascinating. Well, because, you know, I was looking at some of your videos that talk about, it sounds like you go into people's homes and you kind of consult with them about like what types of art, you know, where would they like to have this art and what's it going to mean for them in their life? And you really get into this, like, I guess a personal choice. It's not just like this color goes with a space or something, but you know, what people are looking for with the art that they're purchasing. Yeah. So, I mean, color and space, that's interior design, right? That's not really art, that's decorating. And Mm -hmm. I think when people are going to buy a piece of art with like capital A or fine art or whatever you want to call it, they're looking for it because it has an effect, right? It has a meaning or it has a resonance with who they are. And that type of person 
they're buying the UR because of what it does for them and what it does to them. And it's not as easy a placement as saying, oh, I need a red thing to go with my cherry wood floors. Mm -hmm. Right. So like a lot of times, you know, I'll do a virtual consultation, walk around their house on Zoom or in person if it's local, or they'll just send me pictures and I'll say, okay, well, you want this blue piece of art, but everything is red in your house. So, or cherry. So we'll use this frame and pull everything together. That's a lot of how the process goes. So I spend a lot of time doing home renders and talking to people and really doing my best to recreate or to create or foster the purpose behind my work for the people who are looking for that type of experience. Mm -hmm. Are you doing photography on a day-to-day basis these days or is most of your time taken up by selling the work that you've already shot? It's like 95, oh, right? Okay. Like if that, you know, I, and it's partly because of the course, like I help a lot of artists to build their own websites and things like that. So I spent a lot of time doing that. I created a nine to five for myself and I'm not really sure how I feel about it. But yeah, most of the time I spend selling the work, right? I have a pretty diverse portfolio. I can go out for half a month every few months and create. And then here's what changed. One of the things that changed me from trying to get a job to having a full-time art career is that I understood or I learned that you don't make money taking pictures, right? I make money selling pictures or selling Mm -hmm. art. So Mm -hmm. I can spend all day creating beautiful art and be a starving artist, or I can really hyper-focus on the type of art I want to create and then spend the rest of my time being a sole small business. That's a pretty cool distinction. And I hope people can really like take that to heart (laughs) because yeah, the most beautiful art in the world, you know, could still be just living on our hard drives if we don't get out there and find the customer for it and, you know, make that connection, find people when they're on that journey towards buying your work. So before we talk more about the art of selling art, I wanted to hear, I know you've sold fine art, you've sold work that people hang on their walls and homes, but you've also gotten into NFTs and Mm -hmm. you have a series called Sundance that's on Sloika, which is a real interesting series. It looks a little different than this like comfortable isolation landscape photos that you've done, you know, in that sort of, it's a different body of work. But I was curious if you had a story that you could share with us about how you created Sundance. Yeah. Thank you for pulling me out of the business talk because it seems like all I talk about. (laughs) So I actually always wanted to do portraits. Like from the beginning, I wanted to take pictures of people or create pictures with people and really kind of explore portraiture on a fine art grand level, like with big artwork and things like that. But really, first of all, nature doesn't argue with you, right? And you don't have to worry about offending nature on a photo shoot. You just, as long as you pick up your trash, you're good to go, right? So nature was an easy subject to capture. And then really early, I got picked up by like Nat Geo and the Weather Channel with some of my work from Hawaii. And I kind of created an audience that was just like landscapes all the time. And I felt like I couldn't create landscapes or I couldn't create this other type of work. And then I became a full-time artist and it was like, well, now I got to do what makes money. So I never was able to give myself time to do these portraits until NFTs came. And then NFTs allowed me to justify to myself that I could spend time doing this other type of work because I could make income with it, right? I could put food on the table now. And at this point, it's like, I want to do these portraits, but I'm already really deep in landscapes. And when I bring the two together, I get something like Sundance where it's these scenes of fierce isolation is what I what I called it or what we called it. And we did the first one. So the Sundance collection on Sloika is two shoots. I did the first one on a birthday trip to New Mexico that my girlfriend had got for me because she knows, like I just said, 95.5, right? Like if nobody forces me to get out of the house, I just won't go out and create more work. So she was like, okay, your birthday, we're going to New Mexico. So all right. So I went to New Mexico to do more work. So now it's outside. 
And we created the first few pieces. And there's actually a landscape portion that goes with the Sundance collection. There's three pieces that I was kind of more focused on creating. And it was peace, passion, and tranquility. But I never published those yet. And then we went to Art Basel. So every year I do Art Basel. I'm in one of the big 10 expos every year. And I had a booth. And my plan for Art Basel is I go and I do my booth. And then I stay for a few weeks to deliver art and to close sales and stuff like that. And during those few weeks, I got COVID. And as soon as I finished COVID, my girlfriend got COVID. So we were doing hotel to hotel because we couldn't fly. All our flights got canceled, right? We were supposed to go to Panama. That didn't happen. So I'm just burning money and they wouldn't let me fly home because we kept getting like the chain of COVID. So we just rented a car and drove from Miami back to Seattle. And uh, wow. it was a That's long, as far as you can go. <laughs> basically, yeah. And it was winter, so I couldn't drive across oh. the center of the country. So we went south all the way to LA and then north. Mm. And along the way, we stopped at a few places. We did a collection called Blue is a Mood, which is on Cardano. And then we stopped at New Mexico and shot another session at White Sands. And it's amazing in the winter, right? Like the sand is so cool and soft. It feels like water. Like when you're walking in it, it feels wet like water, but it's not. And we shot this second collection of pieces. That was two shoots also. Like we went one day at night and then went the next morning to create those images. And I was focused on connecting the landscape and the figure and doing them together. So it wasn't like portraits with a white background. It was a landscape with a human in it and really sort of enforcing that comfortable isolation, but using a subject in the space. My favorite photo is the composite in that collection. I think it's like number 13 or 16 or something like that, where I took a tree from British Columbia that has always been like this tree, like this tree is amazing, just a skeleton. And I'm like, I'm going to use this tree and everything. So we were in the <laughs> desert and I was like, hey, Ali, check out this tree. And I was like, can you dance like that tree? Right? Like, can you do a tree pose, but not really a tree pose, right? right so right. the wind is blowing like to a degree that I thought it could scratch my lens, right? Oh, like wow. we were like working like in the picture, her hair is covering her face. And that's partially because I like the anonymity element in portraiture, but mm -hmm. also because the wind was just hitting us hard and she's standing there naked getting pelted by the wind but I was like just dance all crazy and try to emulate this pose of this tree that I was showing her and then in post-production put it all together I really love this collection it's so smooth all the colors the tones are so smooth yeah I might be rambling so oh, no no I love it and I know exactly the image you're talking about and I felt like she did a great job emulating that tree I felt like that those two were dancing together actually she did a great job, and I didn't realize that was a composite either. <laughs> so mm. thanks for the behind the scenes on that. Yeah, it's a beautiful collection. And if anyone wants to see it, of course, they can find the links in our podcast and the blog. So do you have any other works that are headed to the NFT realm in the near future? Yeah, I have a backlog. But one of the things I wanted to do for Sloika in particular was one of the bodies of work that we created. This, again, something I never would have done before NFTs because the amount of time that went into creating this. I have a collection called Guardians. And if you look at them, you would say they're just pictures of angels, right? But I have a story. I'm writing this book. And the book is called, well, it's a trilogy. I haven't figured out what the whole trilogy is called. But in this book, in the lore of this book, Gaia tried to defend herself. The Earth tried to defend herself from Titan being destroying her. And in doing so, created these angels, these characters, these amoral, endless warriors. And Gaia lost. Gaia was destroyed, which is why we have Pangaea and everything's all broken up and we have the separate elements and what have you. But some of the angels survived. And thousands and thousands of years later, when the story is taking place, those angels or those guardians are still around. 
And each of the guardians are connected to nature. So this collection that I have is these 10 guardians and each one, whenever one of these guardians in the book is next to an element, a dominant element, then they start to adopt the features of the element. So in one of the guardians, her wings are becoming translucent and turning into water because she's sitting over a river. And you can see when you zoom in because the images are like 131 megapixels. I'm giving massive images with print rights with this collection. But you can zoom in and you can see the water on her pores and you can see the wings turning into water and then dripping into the river that's rushing by underneath. In other ones, the forest is becoming adopted and she's like got veins growing of moss. Another is connected to twilight, like to the moment of twilight. So more of an ethereal connection with what's happening. And if you look at the full image, you can see there's her galaxy. Her eye is actually a galaxy and there's a tattoo of the stars going down her arm. So like each of these pieces, there's 10 of them. Each of them is like 20 hours of editing plus three continents of images put together. And I want to bring that to Sloika, each is an, as additions. So that's coming soon-ish. <laughs> they're done. <laughs> they just have to come to Sloika. You know, I just got to do, do the work. That's amazing. So three continents of photos. Did one of those include the trip to Panama? Did you ever get to Panama? We never went. I basically oh. just burned that money. It's got photos from some of the backgrounds are from Morocco and then Canada and then here in America. Well, I guess that's two continents, three countries. And then it's got work from all over the States. One of the backgrounds is shot 300 meters underground in a cave. And in that one, like that one's called the Angel of Graves. And she's like rising out of the ground and her wings look like they're made of clay when you zoom in. Yeah, I, I really love this because I get to take an idea from my book, like the book that I've been writing for years and bring it and connect it to the photography. And it still has that same idea about this isolated character. Yeah, I guess I get a little bit excited about that, but I'm excited. That I think, I hope people like them. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, if you release those on Sloika, of course, that, you know, like zooming in is possible, like that full screen view that you can get on Sloika. I think that'll be beautiful. I know a lot of people like to zoom in and look really closely at the details of the images. So we'll be looking forward to that. That sounds really great. So let's go back to the 95% for just a second, because I wanted to give listeners a chance. I know a lot of people might already be aware of the art of selling art, but it sounds like you've taken all of the business training that you had and this, you know, this sort of unemployable set of skills and really turned those into something that helps, you know, turned into your nine to five, basically, of helping other artists figure out the path to selling their art. Because I think I've heard you say that art school, they teach you all these things about art and creating the, you know, like generating the work, but like generating the income is something that not all the art schools are teaching very well. So kudos to you for stepping in and helping bridge that like missing link there. You started this back in, I think, 2018, but tell us where it is now. How can people participate and what's the reason that someone should take a look at this course that you're offering? So I started in 2018. So I've been full-time in art since 2012. And I'm also not really that great of a social person, or at least I didn't used to be. So all of my conversations with artists, whenever I meet them, would always end up about money, right? Or about business, because that's what I was doing and that's what they wanted to do. So I started in 2018 and TASA is basically two parts, right? TASA is my abbreviation for the art of selling art. There's the core curriculum, which is this, is built on case studies. So if I want to do, let's say a campaign on Pinterest, then I go and do a campaign on Pinterest and I, <laughs> this makes me laugh because this is my first example and I actually haven't done it. 
I did the campaign, but I never made the case study. And I, I took my Pinterest from getting a few thousand views a month to getting three quarter million views a month. And then I left it alone and I still get over a hundred thousand views a month on my Pinterest. But then I take that and I turn it into a case study and then I give that to TASA members. So that's what the curriculum is based off of. It's based off of case studies that have worked and just core examples of things that I tried that didn't work on how to make a living doing what I've been doing. And the other part is the community. And the community is, you know, there's an open group, which you can find by looking up Artists Selling Art on Facebook. And then there's also the members only group. And what's really the unexpected result of the community is the motivation part, right? Like mm -hmm. if all of the modules in TASA, and there's like scores of them, there's a full NFT course in TASA that could be, that I could sell all on its own. Everything from what is blockchain to how I've sold out X and Y. And I've sold over a thousand NFTs. So it's like how I've sold XYZ case studies, right? So those are all the bricks. And then the community is the mortar, right? Like it holds everything together. Cause I can show you how like I took an AI collection and sold it out in five days. And then I did the whole thing from scratch to selling out in 20 days. And I show you the whole thing, right? But then you're not doing AI the way I'm doing it. You don't have the same background or the same community that I already have built or, or whatnot. So you need like those extra pieces of information. And that's what the community is for. And then like when, you know, we're all moody artists and I'm, I'm especially a moody artist. There's so like, I don't know, I know this isn't on video, but when someone's like riding on a wave up here and you're cruising down here, you get to lean on their energy and keep moving and vice versa. And all the momentum and accountability that comes with having a group. So those are the two main pieces of TASA. And, you know, you come for the education, I suppose, and you stay for the community. And both are, they're really powerful and synergetic, you know. I just today, like right now during this webinar or podcast, I'm on the front page of Maker's Place. Oh, and wow. I got that because of, uh, there's a whole module in TASA about PR. And if you take that at PR and you adapt it to creating relationships, kind of like the one that we have now, and we're here talking, you work your way into creating opportunities for, for your art. So that's what's happening right now. So that's what's in TASA. You take it and you apply it. And that's why you would come. I don't hard sell TASA, but it's there for the artists who are trying to stop trying to figure out what their worth is, air quotes, mm -hmm. know your worth mm -hmm. and figure out how to price your art. Like know your worth doesn't mean anything. And I hear it all the time on social media, but how do you price your art? You know, if you want practical content on the building an art business, that's what TASA is for. Well, it sounds like, you know, bringing it up from where you started today, it sounds like those principles of selling art back when it was just like fine art and like prints on the wall kind of thing, that those principles, you've managed to find a way for those to work in Web3. Is that right? Unpopular opinion. Web3 is no different than Web2. <laughs> okay. There's, there's <laughs> that's zero fine. difference. Yeah, it's just people. I guess it is just people. I, I think maybe the venues are different or something. But so tell, tell me about the similarities. Everything is the same, right? Like I can upload a image to an open marketplace like Foundation with mm -hmm. the same amount of ease as I could upload it to Etsy. There's nothing different about that. Social media changed around Web3, but the social media that we're calling Web3 is still Web2. Twitter, mm -hmm. Discord, podcasts, that's all still Web2. And then NFTs, if we take the crypto out of them, because NFTs and crypto do not have to be linked. There's nothing about owning an NFT that says it has to be done in crypto or paid for in crypto. So if you take that out of the equation, especially now that we can buy stuff with cash, with more services now, then the blockchain doesn't even have to be part of the art selling conversation when it comes to digital art. So nothing has changed except for artists using a new fancy term that's confusing their buyers. So, you know, nothing's changed. But what has evolved is social media, right? Social media has become our ability to be connected to a new audience. That's what came with, with NFTs. 
a whole new audience to us and a whole new way of being accessible to that audience. And I wish that we could find a way to make traditional art collectors show up in Twitter spaces because that's a bigger market. The traditional art world is still significantly larger than, I mean, we're talking about a few hundred million in revenue going through the whole NFT space in general and 16 to 20 billion in art revenue happening in IRL art. If we could bring more people who are enthusiastic about physical art into spaces, and we'd be doing the same thing, right? And then the NFT space plus physical art is what I think the future is. Someone buys an NFT or pre buys a physical piece of art, they get the NFT as a certificate of authenticity, and the two are married, right? Like that's, I think that's where the future is because people still live here in the real world. And if anything, mm -hmm. the digital space will be a mirror or an extension of the world they live in today, not a separate place. So, I mean, that's where I kind of focus on my attention. Like even this Maker's Place drop that's happening right now is a fidgetal drop, which makes it really unpopular, but I think it's the future. <laughs> fidgetal. So tell people what, that, what you mean by that. So the pieces, when I release a piece of art, and I only release a few a year, before NFTs, I would only release a few pieces a year, but now I, I get to create a lot more. And marketing is different. Like the, Anyway, so I have a piece called A State of Mind, and it has four editions of five, so 20 pieces total. And the 48-inch edition is exclusively available as an NFT. So you have to buy the NFT. It's priced so that the physical and the NFT are together. So it's 6,500, whereas a 48-inch would normally be like 4,000 something. So the full price is 6500 for the two assets, and they get the physical when they purchase it. So they're married together. So that's what I mean by digital. And it's pretty much the same offer that I've been offering most of my IRL collectors. They get one and the other. So that's what's happening there. The pieces that I have on Sloika are not digital or physical, but they're also, they're priced that way. Right? Like a physical mm -hmm. piece for me starts at $3,000 and almost mm -hmm. no one buys one that small. So it's like the NFTs, they're priced at like 0.3 or 0.5 or, or whatever. But if you guys wanted to do a digital campaign, I would be down. We'd be down too. I think we're looking at any kind of strategies that help photographers, you know, find success. So yeah, we should talk. <laughs> I do know that there are several photographers who have NFT collections that do involve a physical element, like whether it's a book or catalog of the entire collection or things like that. So, you know, they take care of the fulfillment of that on their own. But yeah, I think that's a really cool way to bridge this more traditional art collector over to, you know, dabbling into the NFT realm, especially if that's the only way that work is available. Like you said, your largest piece, you know, you have to buy the NFT, but it also comes with the print or the large physical piece. So mm -hmm. that's very cool. Are there any sales that really stand out in your mind? Like that was the most exciting, like it happened, just like textbook method that would follow this sort of TASA strategy that you share with your participants in your program? I mean, we just sold a piece from the Sundance collection the other day. And in general, like the principle on sales is not, the problem with sales today is that we still think about it in sales the way they used to be, especially people from like my generation and older, right? Like I'm 37 and we still think of sales in terms of the car salesman, right? Or we still think of sales in terms of the real estate guy. And that's not how sales is anymore. Sales is a lot more uh, conversational guidance-based, right? So the last conversation I had around that Sloika sale was if you make the conversation, everyone wants to be the hero of their own story, okay? So when you're talking to a collector, the collector wants to be the hero of their story and you get to be a participant in it and your art gets to be a participant in their story. And most artists are like, me, 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 right? This is what I was doing. This is the camera I use. And photographers especially, like this all I... The weather was bad and this and that. And I even did that a little bit today. But if you make the story about them, mm. right? Like, why do they like this art? Where did they come from in their world that this is what caused them? 
what crazy thing do they feel like talking to you about today because you're their pseudo therapy session. Mm -hmm. And then once you've gotten to know them, you can say, this is something I have that I think you'll like. Right? And that's what this conversation went. This collector was talking to me about what he thinks the future of photography is going to be with AI. And the pictures he was showing me were pictures of people. So I was like, hey, when it became my turn to talk, I was like, you know, I listened, I reaffirmed what he said. And then I said, hey, can I show you something that I think you would like? And since I just spent a whole bunch of time talking to him, the law of reciprocity said that he would give me some time back. And I, and I went through and I showed him some of the work and he liked everything and ended up buying this one. But yeah, make it about the collector. I guess that would be the best advice. That's really good advice. I do see so many times we give photographers the chance to like write about their images, give as much information as they'd like to. And I think collectors really appreciate that. But I don't know that the stories of, you know, the bad weather and this and that it really are doing the traction. It's something like having that personal conversation with someone or that interchange exchange between you and a collector would have, because then you get into this more personal details. Yeah. So, yeah. That's very cool. Well, congratulations on that latest sale, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. There's still like 14 pieces left, I think, out of Only 18. 14. Yeah, they're a very beautiful collection. And I know we're going to be looking forward to seeing the Guardians as well. Are there any other projects that you have in the works? Are you going to get to go traveling again anytime soon? I'm kind of doing a fun trip that's not really a... I don't really think I'll create a portfolio piece out of it, but for the first two weeks of May, I'm going to be cruising around the Northwest here with a friend. And then I thought about, depending on how things go, maybe going to Bali for the last half of May. But yeah, I don't know. Actually, one of the things that I'm trying to work on right now is I wrote a book, a different book that I published in 2020 called Naked Thoughts. And I'm trying to turn that into a an art project where it's a book publishing through Book.io. And then I do like 100 covers for it and turn that into... 2500 piece collection and then you know the people are buying my book basically but they're also getting some artwork and it's a huge photo project to do a wow. hundred different pieces of art so i need a really strong green light because publishers can drop you like publishers mm -hmm. will be like yeah i'm for it and then they'll just be like something changed or what have you and and then i spent a thousand hours doing some really creative stuff and, and don't have a place to put it. So those are the things that are on my dock besides working with artists and just keeping their momentum up. Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of people really appreciate all the time that you put into helping them with their careers. If you do go to Bali in late May, I think you'll see NFT Bali Art Week, which is happening. I don't know if you're headed to NFT Bali or not, but... They invited me to talk, so maybe. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, Sloika is going to be presenting 10 artists there. So we're curating that here in the next few days, but that's pretty awesome. exciting. Well, I'm sure people would love to hear from you. And I've been talking to so many photographers, you know, in my day-to-day -day life. But yeah, I was really happy to hear your name pop up so many times. So thanks a lot for spending some time with me today. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. I was surprised to hear my name pop up too. So I guess that means I'm doing something right. <laughs> I think so. Well, we'll let you get back to it. Thanks again for sharing some time. And we'll be looking forward to seeing what's next. Yeah, let's talk soon. All right. Thank you.